we were singing about joy, which triggered me wanting him to sing, I'm trading my sorrows. Because if ever there was a time we'd enter into the joy of the Lord, be at the time and season of Christmas when we remember that the reason for the season is Jesus and, and the keynote theme of all of the Christmas story is joy. I want to say, do you have the joy of the Lord in your spirit today? We're going to talk a little bit about what this joy is. It certainly doesn't mean that everything is going well. Some people think joy means everything's going well. No, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you need the joy of the Lord during the times which are tough. And I mean, times are tough. We just look out at what's happening in the world. Tragedies, war-torn countries, civil war with scores of thousands of people being killed, innocent people, women and children in all conflicts like that. 90% of the casualties are civilians. And we think also of, of crazy things happening. Wanton destruction is what took place two days ago in Connecticut in that little place called Newtown where 20 children who were aged six to seven, kind of the same age as the kids that were on the platform just a few moments ago, together with six adults shot, killed senselessly, mindlessly by somebody who, young boy, 20, who shot his mother first, first of all, and then shot himself. How can I today, in all honesty and integrity, stand before you and say, Jesus is joy. Well, it is because he is the joy that is sent from heaven. Whatever else is wrong with the earth, Jesus has come. And I believe that real joy is learning how to live in the light of the coming of Jesus in the midst of darkness. The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The God who gives you songs in the night is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is the Father of the fatherless, the husband to the widow, the healer of the brokenhearted, and the one who binds up your wounds. He who never leaves you nor forsakes you draws nearer and nearer in times of trouble. He is the eternal, dependable, the solid rock of our salvation. He who is the light of the world is also the light in your darkness. And it is because that light who brings light to everyone has shined into this world. That means that true light shines in this darkness. And it happened 2,000 years years ago, and it will shine forever. Now, the Bible is very frank about the conditions of human hearts. The Bible says the human heart is darkened in their understanding. And because of that, we know that the expression of humanity is stained and tainted, and that's why there is so much evil in the world. And the Bible says, until the time comes when God himself will intervene, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. 
That's what the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the end times and not just the kind of apocalyptic end time scenarios that so many prophets of doom and gloom love to talk about. It's just basically the condition of humanity. Darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but Isaiah also says, but unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. As we've been approaching the Christmas season, we have been seeking through our preaching and teaching and worshiping together to draw closer to Jesus. And this is the aspect of who Jesus is that I'm inviting you to draw close to today, to draw close to the joy of the Lord. And uh, we can remember that at Christmas time because it all began in what we call the Christmas story. Not just in the birth of the Son, but the birth of the one who would bring God's government, God's shalom. It will come in increasing ways. It will not come immediately and suddenly, but he begins as a baby in a manger, but he shall show himself one day as, as the Lord of, the, of glory as the judge of all the earth. And when he comes to judge people of God, he's coming to put right the things that are wrong. He's coming to expel every atom of darkness from every crevice and corner of this universe. And that's why we have hope. And that's why we can rejoice because of this wonderful, glorious government of God and his peace, his holy shalom, which shall touch the nations of the world. When we read through the gospel story of Christmas and next Sunday, very particularly, we'll be selecting different readers from the congregation and we'll go from the beginning to the end of the Christmas story, that which is so familiar uh, year on year and also in our annual daily Bible readings and, and the words which particularly come through the carol songs that we love singing here, especially by candlelight, uh, even though it's really just glow sticks due to health and safety. But never mind, our imagination is strong. But when we refresh our memory and revisit the Christmas story in its context, one of the things that strikes us above all is that the Christmas theme is one of joy. That's the keynote. Right from the very beginning when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. You recall that? It's written in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. It says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So from the very beginning, it's about joy. And why shouldn't Mary rejoice? I mean, she was selected above all young maiden women 
of her generation and indeed among all generations to be the one woman chosen by God to bring the Christ child into this world by supernatural conception but by natural birth. Why shouldn't she rejoice? I mean, the angel said, highly favored one. And that word, highly favored, as it's translated into the Greek versions of our Bibles, is an amazing word. It is used sparingly in the New Testament. You don't find angels or people, even Jesus himself, going around glibly and lightly spreading this statement like petals falling from a a wedding procession march. In fact, it's only recorded twice in the New Testament. The first time is here when God announces to this virgin girl, God has favored you. He's highly favored you above all women. He's chosen you for something special. And the second time it occurs is in Paul's writings in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 where God says that we are accepted in the beloved, that we exist for the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in Christ. And you say, well, it's not very well translated, is it? Because it's exactly the same word. It's the same word that Gabriel had on his mouth as a very particular indication to Mary that she was God's chosen maiden for bringing Messiah into the world. It's the same word used over every one of our lives. You are blessed and highly favored. That's the word. And so we can rejoice whatever situation or circumstances We can say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Therefore, I will rejoice, and I will lay hold of the joy of the Lord. Well, that was Mary's reaction. I used to be a choir boy in the Anglican church, and in those days, I sang Well, I wouldn't say well. I wouldn't even say not so well. I would say even worse than I sing today. (laughs) And I remember how the choir master walked up and down the choir stalls. I mean, you know, this, I was, I was, I think I was 10, 10 years of age. So it's a long time ago, 22 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And the rest. And so these were very old, strict days when the Anglicans were really God's chosen, frozen people. (laughs) And choir boys sat looking like angels and not putting a foot out of place. Anyway, the choir master was walking up and down the choir stalls trying to find out where that bad note was coming from. (laughs) And he stopped in front of me, shook his head, and left. <laughs> a little while after that, I was invited to join the, the local church's dance team. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> but uh, 
One of the things I do remember was uh, how we used to sing. How many, how many Anglicans do we have here? I mean, you know, secret Anglicans, lapsed Anglicans. Hmm. All right. Remember. And we used to sing the Magnificat. And I, I, I tried to wonder what was this magnificent cat. I didn't understand it. You know what it's like for kids. But the Magnificat. And this is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Uh, 46 and onwards. And this is how it begins. This is Mary's response to the news that she is blessed and highly favored. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Wow. I used to sing that. Well, something which was my pretense at singing, but the words were amazing. My spirit has rejoiced. My soul magnifies the Lord, but my spirit rejoices. And you know, after all these years, I've come to understand a little bit more of what that means. Because, you know, when you are rejoicing, you can, you know, uh, be happy about so many things. And, uh, but the real joy of the Lord is not about things. It's about Him. It's about Him. My spirit rejoices. My spirit rejoices. Your body may be racked with pain, but your spirit can rejoice. You may be in the worst circumstances that you could ever wish, not just for yourself, but your own worst enemy. And yet, in the midst of it all, your spirit can rejoice because this is not earthly joy. This is not the trumped up Christmas pudding kind of joy. Thank God for those stuff. By the way, I hope you are not one of these Scrooge Christians who look at all of this and say, humbug, uh, read Charles Dickens, look what happened to him. It's great, we're human beings, amen? I love the lights, I love the warmth, I love the atmosphere, it was worth everything just to see those kids today. I mean, you know, jumping up and down with joy and excitement, it's beautiful. All of these wonderful human things which which relates to our mind, our emotions, our will. We bring it to God, and with our soul, we magnify Him. But with our spirit, we rejoice. Say quelque chose beaucoup plus profond ce que je parle. Amen. C'est pour vous qui parle français. Voilà. I'm just saying a few things to my French friends. Okay. Okay. That's it. That's it. How many understood me? Did you understand me? Okay. Oh, bon. Oh, bon. But I'm not going to carry on, all right, because I'll soon run out of words. But just, this is something deeper and more profound than anything. This is more than what your father or your mother could give you. They could give you an education. They could provide for you. This is more than the world could give you if you wrapped the whole world up in a parcel and got it for Christmas, 
you wouldn't have even begun to understand what it means when Mary said, my spirit rejoices. It's something so deep on the inside of us. And that's why I can stand today with integrity and say, we can rejoice. Whatever circumstances. Whatever circumstances. It's not that we ignore the pain and the suffering, but we celebrate the one who has come to deal with it all. And we know, as Isaiah prophesied, it says, of the increase. Everybody say increase. Yes. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. It doesn't just say, of his government, there will be no end. But of the increase of his government. In other words, the kingdom of God comes small to begin with. I mean, so small that it can fit into a manger in Bethlehem. Something so small, something so apparently weak and defenseless. And yet, in that cradle lay the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so today, the faith that we have at Christmas is not the faith that looks around the world and says, where's God? Where's God in all of this? Where's God in my life? Maybe this has been the best year you've ever had. It's been a pretty good year for London with all the celebrations, the Olympics, the Paralympics. I mean, the summer was euphoric. I had to get out of London just to get a taste of reality. And that's wonderful. And maybe your year has been like that. Maybe you said, you know, I'm so happy today. Wow, I'm not asking you whether you're happy. I'm asking you whether you are rejoicing. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength in all circumstances. Amen and amen. Habakkuk the prophet had to learn this when he was looking at the fruit on the vine and, and he saw it, it was not blossoming. There was nothing happening. No herd in the stalls. And, and he began to understand that this was a prophetic message that God was working against the nation of Israel. And he said God was going to bring an enemy that would overrun the nation because God was shaking up the nation. And, and even Habakkuk had to learn at the end of it all when he struggled with the realities of his own generation and realities of the social and political and economic conditions of his day and what the future seemed to be as storm clouds gathered. He was able to learn in the midst of that and say, though the fig tree does not blossom, nor there be any herd in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Amen and amen. Oh, the joy of the Lord is far deeper than Christmas crackers, tinsel, or anything else that is so often associated with the external celebrations of Christians by sinners and pagans and saints and all the rest alike. No, no, no. Our joy is in the one who came, not just in the way it is celebrated today. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. 
The joy of the Lord is so spiritual and it's supernatural. It's wonderful. Sometimes you can be so full of joy and you just can't explain it. You will say, listen, <laughs> I'm not worried. I should be worried, but I'm not worried. And the only thing I'm worried about is that I'm not worried. <laughs> but the joy of the Lord is sustaining me. You can be in the deepest valley, the darkest night, under the most oppressors of circumstances, but the joy of the Lord is with you because it is with your spirit. But the theme of joy plays out in ever more complex patterns, but always recurring in the Christmas story when John the Baptist was born. If you have a look in Luke chapter 1, we have the story of finally Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, gives birth. Luke 1, 57 to 58. Now, Elizabeth's full, full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And it was not just that a woman who had previously been unable to have children found that she could conceive. And that's reason for joy enough. But it was the circumstances that this child, John the Baptist, whom the Bible describes as having been filled with the Spirit, from his mother's womb. This one who was to go before and prepare the way for Messiah. That's what was so significant. Now I think that every mother thinks that their son, especially the firstborn son, especially, especially the firstborn son born later on in life is special. But no, John really was special. And the whole community got together to rejoice, just like we're doing today. And also, if we think about when Jesus was actually born and the events that took place that first Christmas night, recorded in Luke 2, verse 20. This is chapter 2 of Luke, when the angels were minding their own sheep, waiting, keeping watch over their flocks at night as they were, would normally what normally do, and, and the heavens exploded with great revelation, and a whole host of heavenly angels were, were visibly manifest. It must have scared their socks off, if they were wearing any. <laughs> and they went to find out whether all this was true. And they went to find Jesus and they found him lying in a manger, and it was true. God does not lie. Something has happened. The heavens have opened. God has intervened. From now onwards, things are going to be different. There's going to be a change in the atmosphere. There's going to be a, a self-evident manifestation of God's kingdom which is, which is going to creep up on us and, and we're going to see the fruit of it. And I'm not so sure, well, I'm pretty sure they were not theologians, they were just shepherds. 
But it happened just as they had been told. And then in verse 20, it says, Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told them. But even their rejoicing pales into insignificance when we think of those wise men from the East. Uh, tradition says there were three, but that's only linked to the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And if you study church tradition, not history, but tradition, you can find their names and what they had for breakfast and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how many they were. The Bible doesn't say, but what the Bible does say was they saw his star and they knew that this was a sign. How many people know that God sends signs, not just in the heavens but on the earth? How many people know that God speaks through signs? God speaks to you through signs. Amen. Yes, he does. God just can't wait to burst out of his physical universe and to draw significance to who he is and what he wants for your life. And these men who had no schooling in Hebrew theology, they had no understanding of Hebrew prophecy, but they saw something that everybody else missed, even the people who were living in the land, and they said, the Messiah, the King of the Jews, is born, let's go. And they followed the star. And when they got to Jerusalem, the star was only helpful to a point. It's like the sat-nav that I follow in my car. It is only helpful to a point. And there's certain times when you just have to do what you think is right. But they got there, and they thought, well, if he's the king of the Jews, he must be important. Let's go to the palace. <laughs> Shows how ignorant they were because the palace was not ruled by a godly king, but by a madman by the name of Herod. And uh, they said, oh, we've come to worship the king of the Jews who's just been born. And they said, well, you know, we don't know about that. And then Herod rushed out the back and got all the scholars together and the theologians and said, tell us, tell me. I better find out where this king is supposed to be born because I'll have to find out and deal with it. And they read from the scriptures, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And it showed how Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And even today, as I saw in the early morning news, they're putting up that massive Christmas tree in Bethlehem Square in the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem. 2,000 years later, anybody with their head screwed on knows that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And there it was written in the prophets. Micah lived in the 8th century B.C. Massively, 700 years before Christ was born and to 700 years later, they were able to look at the very chapter and look at the very verse and find out the answer to their question. 
What a wonderful Bible we have. There is a chapter, there is a verse that can speak into your life every day of the year and more besides. And I want your Bible to be so marked up so it becomes a living testimony so that over the years you can go back and look at, oh, look at this verse. Here in this verse, that was when I was sick in hospital and this verse entered my life and the Bible was fulfilled. Your word entered my life and it healed me because you sent it forth. And you go back into this, oh yes, I had a need here of financial provision and the word of God spoke into my situation. It is as if it had my name, my address, my postcode. It came right to my very front door. God met my need. That's what the word of God is for you. Amen and amen. And these wise men, then they went on their way in the direction where they'd been told. And then this happened. It says, Matthew 2 verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Yeah. So at this point, the sign reappeared as a confirmation to God's word that they were the right people in the right place at the right time. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. And the rejoicing here is extreme rejoicing. That's the only way I can describe it. I remember when I was in theological college and I had this Scots uh, Greek teacher and she was very strict. And there, that's when I first learned to roll my R's. It was like self-defense, that's what it was, in this class. And, and we had to translate this in the Greek. And oh, my brain hurt. But when I got to this, I couldn't believe it. Every word I looked up, there was joy. When I looked up part of a word, there was even more joy. And I looked up the rest of the word, there was even more joy. I can't tell you how strong this is in the original. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly excessive, super abundant, over the top, totally out of control, great joy. That's how I would translate it. You can see why Bible translators haven't come knocking on my door. But that's something of the force. And these, the force of this word, and these men, they weren't even Jews. The Jews were supposed to be looking for their Messiah. But not even the scholars who could say, oh, this chapter and this here, this here, you may make chapter five and verse two. <laughs> yes, and the answer is, the answer is Bethlehem in Judea. <laughs> they had the answer. But they stayed in Jerusalem. You'd think they'd said, my, wow, yeah, it is Bethlehem in Judea. Let's go. They didn't. They had the answer, but they did nothing with it. That is like many Christians I've met in my life. We have the answer. But what in heaven's name are we doing about it? Let the promise lead you to the person whose name is Jesus. Amen and amen. Why did all this joy come about? I think the angels, the angelic choir, they got it. 
Luke 2 verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. What is that telling us? Tell us the time has come when God is going to show favor, not just on Mary, but on all those who would receive the message. Do you know, it's amazing. Somebody discovered who's never discovered that God is real. Discover one day that God is real. How would you feel? Wow, God's real. But I tell you, you haven't heard the half of it. Not only is he real, but he loves you. And only does he love you, he wants to do good to you. He wants to bless you. He wants to come into your life. He wants to fill you. And he wants to give you joy. And this was spoken now over 2,000 years ago. And you know what? It's a stumbling block for many people. I spoke to my Jewish friend a number of years ago. I've had many Jewish friends, but this was one. And uh, I said, how is it that you find it so difficult to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Look at all these Old Testament prophecies. And the one thing he said to me was, we, we Jews find it difficult to believe that your Jesus is our Messiah. For our prophets say, when Messiah comes, he will introduce the universal brotherhood of man. Now, that's really quite profound. Quite profound. So he said, where is this universal brotherhood? I wish he was here this morning. I wish he was standing on this very spot because I would show him, look around, universal brotherhood, men and women from every nation, every race. We're all brothers in Christ, amen. Whatever the color of our skin, whether we are really from somewhere in the east and we pop off to top up our suntan in Morocco, or whatever, 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 I'm as confused as them all. I was born in East Africa, brought up in Australia, but lived here in Great Britain. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we're, we're brothers. And so, you see, this is a good example because there's so many things. They say, well, what about shalom? What about peace? You're telling me that the Messiah of peace is reigning over our age and generation. Look what happened in Connecticut. Look what's going on in Syria. Look what's going on in our economy. Where is the shalom in that? I said, well, listen, first of all, you've got to see that it begins in here. The peace and joy of Christ, the Son of God, living on the inside of us. But it doesn't end there because Christmas tells us that, first of all, the light shone in our darkness. But when that light shines in us, we become also shining lights for Christ. So the kingdom of God is seen in us and through us. 
This seems to me to be exactly everything that Jesus calls us to be, to own him in this generation of darkness. I don't know, you would have to be living, sleeping 24 hours a day and never putting your head above the covers not to realize that this world is in deep darkness. But the light of God has shone in your heart. And because the light is there, you can rejoice. And when you rejoice, you make a faith statement. Everything's going to be all right. And in the meantime, I'm going to help you. Because we're looking not just for the Messiah who was born into a manger, but the one who will break through he from heaven itself on that final day and declare him, himself, with every manifestation of all the outward show of spiritual authority and heavenly glory to declare himself to be, show himself to be, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who will put an end to all wars, the one who will take darkness out of all of our hearts, and the God who will shut out of the kingdom of light those who refuse his light, and there forever they'll live in the darkness that they have chosen, but the children of light shall shine like stars in the universe of God's glory. And it will all be because that day came and a woman rejoiced in what she'd heard. Do you rejoice today? Do you say, Jesus, I welcome you. Welcome you as my Savior. For some of you, it might mean receiving him as your savior for the first time. But all of us, whether it's the first time, second time, or a hundredth time, or millionth time, we fellowship with him. We sup with him. He will come into us this Christmas time. So, have discerning eyes that look beyond the fun, frivolity. And I'll tell you something, I enjoy fun. I'm a fun person. But nothing of that compares to the reality of the joy in your spirit, which becomes your strength in all circumstances. God bless you. If you're going away for Christmas, don't go away until tomorrow, because tonight's concert is going to be great, 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. And throughout the week in the revival times, we'll show you all that is up. But remember, shine for Christ and rejoice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the light of God that has shone in our hearts and driven out the darkness within us and yet more darkness still to be driven out. God, we do not minimize the pain, the suffering, the shame, the humiliation, and all the terrible things that are happening, but we thank you that you came to sort it all out and you're doing it bit by bit and the increase of your government is increasing and will continue to increase and that we are part of that. We fix our eyes upon you and celebrate and rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Give Jesus a big praise. Merry Christmas, everybody.